And we're live. You know I can't count that high. I only have so many fingers and toes. All right. And we're live. <laughs> hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we've got well, he's returning for us, but first time on the Blasters and Blades, friend of the show, the legendary cyborg wolf himself, Mr. Jonathan Yanez. So uh, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to uh, talk with you. And I think this is, I think the last two times I was on, we just did audio. So the visual is like a nice added aspect as well. Yeah, we're, we're growing a little bit of our audience over there on the YouTubes. And at some point in time when I have time, which I don't know if that ever happens, but in theory, we could. Um, we, we try to, we're going to try probably like bit shoot or whatever everyone else is putting their stuff, just sort of diversify, but primarily our audience is the uh, podcast listening audience, which is still cool because that's what we started with, but, uh, we're having fun, which is the important part. Yes. And, um, yeah. Besides, this so, way we can make fun of JR more for not seeing his face. No, I'm kidding. This is true. <laughs> this is true. So Jonathan, can you tell for the listeners who might not know who you are a little bit about yourself? Sure. I um, started writing about nine years ago. Um, just had a job that I knew I, I didn't really want. I always wanted to write. Wasn't sure how to break into writing. Didn't know anything, but I kind of just came to this coming to Jesus moment in my life where I thought like, hey, if I don't quit my job now and really give this 100%, I'm never going to do it. So I quit my job without having any other backup plan, which was not a great idea in retrospect. Cashed in my 401k, so there was no safety net, no savings or anything. And then I told my wife what I did, and uh, that was a fun conversation. And then I just oh, kind of put my back. You survived it, though. Yes, so I'm still job. alive. Still alive. I still flinch when she raises her hand, but I'm still alive. Um, so you you learned the value of a comfortable couch, though, I'm told. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, she's been great, though. She was super supportive. Um and like for the first five years, just fell on my face over and over and over and over again. Made every mistake in the book. Had to come up with a school of hard knocks. Like I, I know that there are authors who are out there who hit it big with the first book or even with the first series or second series or third series. That was not me. So first five years, kind of just paying some dues and learning. And then I would say in 2018, things kind of started taking off uh, just a lot smarter about marketing and covers and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was fun that's, though. That's complicated to do though. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of learning what did not work so I could learn what would work. What's that they say you're uh, a instant success several years in the making, something along those lines you hear people talk about with business because a lot of people just when they find you you're and you're successful, just you being the more generic, like, oh, you just got lucky. I'm like, no, you just ignored the hard work that led up to that. No, gosh, no, no, no. The hardest working people I know are typically the most successful or on their way to being the most successful people. I was having a conversation with someone because I wake up at 5 a.m. That way I can get most of my writing done before the family's up. This is quiet and crank out some uh, words. So I was at this get together and somebody I just met at the get together. It was like, you own your own business. So why are you waking up at 5 a.m.? And I was like, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. because I own my own business, right? So I can yeah. own my own business. But some yeah. people just don't understand. They don't understand the sacrifice or what it takes. 
Yeah, I heard somebody once tell me that because he was his, uh, an entrepreneur and owned his own business, he only had to work half day, noon to midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, you um, you put in your hours, so that's gonna that might have to change because as you uh, get the kids in school, they're gonna be getting up earlier. And I know Jen's a night owl because I see her on late all the time. Well, you know, yeah. the nice thing is when they go to school, you have all those hours when they're not there. True. Oh. But there, there's something <laughs> in my future we haven't talked about yet. My wife's gonna homeschool our kids. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I'm your still life's gonna never to... gonna be the same. I'm gonna I'm gonna be up at five a.m. to make sure I get the words in, and then uh, the wonderful madness ensues. But that means you can adjust your schedule with homeschooling around what you need it to be. So that's still still manageable. And I, I yeah. just don't I don't see Jen wanting to wake up at five in the morning to do homeschool. No, no, no. So uh, our normal routine. So if people don't know, my wife uh, has also written some books, but um, she she's does, amazing she, as an author. By the way, ahead, you thank should you. you should all read them. J.R. Castle. Thank no. you, yes. Is it J.R. Castle? It's J.R. Yeah. something. Okay, I got yeah, it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her maiden name was Castillo, and in English, that's Castle, so that's where that came from. But yeah, she uh, worked at an advertising agency, and then in 2018? 18? 19. 2019. January 2019, she, came, she quit her job and came to work for our company. So she does all our advertising, and then we just started doing our own audiobooks. Um, and German translations and now French translations. So she's kind of like navigating that whole arena. So we're both work full-time for the company. It's just kind of weird how we kind of have to structure our days for it to all work. And when you're dealing with overseas, the scheduling gets even more complicated because time zones are a thing. Yeah, it's super weird because both cover artists we use too. One's in Italy and one's in Spain. So it's like everybody that we talk to and everybody that we're working with has like different crazy hours. So it's fun. It's fun. Um, I took this for granted when I started working for myself, but now I see so much value in it that I never have to work with people that I don't want to work with ever again. And I was like, wow, like I've never had that before. Right. And it's so yeah. powerful. Yeah. I think you're what, so you're probably eight hours different you're three from me on Eastern and I'm five from UK. So you're probably looking at half a day difference time zone wise, roughly for, for Europe. So that gets even more complicated. So speaking of that, I know that that's all very interesting, but how did you meet Jonathan then? If, Cause we all know you're a hermit and you're the one who introduced me to Jonathan. So I knew who he was uh, just from the indie writer circle. We were both in the 20 books to 50 K, but that group is so big. It's almost, unwieldy they've ended up creating like subgroups by genre because it got so big uh, but then we met in 2018 in vegas so i was um trying my hands at craps and apparently the house always wins so i was down by like a lot you uh, should know better than to try and get lucky well yeah and see then the mob was like i want my money so he helped me hide out in the back you know it was it was a thing we were running and gunning and you know that's when the bro ants began but if the mafia asks, my name is um, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. <laughs> See, this well, is you keeping us on track. Normally, that's my job, and I appreciate it. <laughs> so, well, I already covered how I met Jonathan, which was via the show. Uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with you, and just as many are going, ooh, somebody new and interesting who uh, likes to pick on JR, too. Because that's that's a, that's our uh, national pastime here in this podcast. 
<laughs> now you get to ask him the important question, the religion question. Does yes. he get to stay? Dun, dun, dun. He gets to stay. Lost in space, Babylon 5 or Eureka? Oh, man. You guys changed it up. Last time I had, uh, I, I was prepared for this question because last time Stargate was an option and I always went with Stargate. We but decided I guess... to, to mix it up just so it wasn't same, same. And so that way we could have the same author back because it would never be the same question. Yeah, no, I think Lost in Space. That was fun. Now, is Which it version? Are you the new one or the original? Um, I guess both. But if I had to choose the original. What about okay. the movie that they put out probably early 2000s? That was good, too. Yeah, I think it was a fun adventure. Like, I, I like those stories. They were fun adventures. The new one's much more dark and gritty. I only I didn't watch all of season one of the new one, but I watched some of it. So I watched all of season one, and then um, I don't know. Twenty twenty was dark and gritty enough for me that I didn't need to watch any more dark and gritty. No, it gets more hopeful um, at the end, but they leave you hanging at the end of season two, and I'm still waiting on season three, which I really hate that being left like that. That's why they leave it like that. I know, but I guess I got into making sure that Netflix makes them come back for the next one. This is true, but then what happens when they the whatever the producers cancel it? And I'm like, no, you never gave me an ending. I feel like there should be like a saving throw arc to like when they do that. They're like, hey, I know we're canceling it, but we're not going to be total dickwads. And we're going to let you finish this arc if you can do it in like a TV movie format. I'd be okay that's with that. Idea. Even like a, yeah. like a PDF. Like a PDF that's leaked. This is how we were going to end it. Give you some closure. Something. Because like, I, I feel that way about like Terra Nova and some other things too. Oh my God, that show was so good. And Stargate Universe did that to me. Like, oh, we'll finish it in the graphic novel. So I bought the graphic novel. Still a cliffhanger. Yeah. But anyway, we've got one more religion question. We got to okay. see. Okay. So Conan, Belgariad, or Sword of Shannara? Probably Conan. Nice. I feel like I need I need to read more Conan. I need more Conan in my life. But with how bananas everything is. Conan now, right? Yeah, I'll probably have to do like audiobooks to catch up on all Conan shenanigans. So yeah. the Belgariad was written by David and Lee uh, Eddings. I picked it because it was a husband and wife team, so I thought that might resonate with you. Actually, I haven't heard of it. That's a that's a, something I'm going to put on my list though to check out. It's uh, It was the first adult. So I got in trouble probably in about fourth grade because I was bored in class. So I was reading um, books that were inappropriate. I was reading Stephen King just to shock people. Um, I, I don't even like his works, but it was just the shock factor of like, oh, you're not old enough to read that. And so my mom gave me um, some Orson Scott Card and David Eddings, the uh, the Bulgaria series is my first grown up sort of chapter books to read. So and I, I just went and bought all the audio books and I listened to those. Now it's, it's still an excellent read. So I don't know if they're still writing or not, but that that universe is a lot of fun. My mom gave me books to deliberately shock my teachers in high school, but they were on religion. So, so she would. We lived probably about three blocks from the local public library, so she would let us ride our bikes there. And so I didn't always have supervision when I was picking the books to read, and that's how I got away with that. But it was a different time when you could do that. You could roam the neighborhood. So, Jay, we let you roam the neighborhood anyways. They keep returning you, though. This is true. This is true. But we'll move oh. on because this show is about Jonathan. Um, as you know, we cover both science and fantastical fantasies. So which was your first love, the sci-fi or the fantasy? Uh, I started off in fantasy. So I started off with urban fantasy. 
Okay. And then I went Ooh, to sci-fi. Yeah, Ooh. Urban Fantasy was fun. I did um Who? No, as a reader. As a reader. As a reader, yeah. Oh, what did I read in Urban Fantasy? Oh, oh, sorry. I you're talking about you started writing Urban Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started off writing Urban Fantasy and then went to sci-fi and now I've gotten back to Urban Fantasy. So okay. people have told me like some advice and I think there is some truth to the advice, but they told me like you have to write in one genre, right? You can't write sci-fi and you can't write urban fantasy. And I think maybe that's true depending on how you brand yourself. Like if you're branding yourself as only a sci-fi writer for years, and then all of a sudden you throw this platform that you've built, you're like, hey, I'm going to write something else. That might not work. But if you build your brand as the author first and people fall in love with you and you can have relationships with these people, then I think they're more willing to read whatever you might write. Well, and I think also some of it depends on uh, there is a very different marketing and type of audience within sci-fi and fantasy. And um, if you kind of just ignore it and you don't expect to see kind of a dip in your sales, like I've talked to a lot of authors and they don't, they, they are very leery. And I understand if your primary income is coming from your sales, you don't want to see a dip in sales, but there's going to be a dip when you switch genres, I think. That's yeah. just going to be a given. And you just have to bear in mind that you're cool enough to do it and you're cool enough to ride that wave. Yeah, so, for sure. So I can uh, as, uh, go ahead. As a reader, what, what was your first love? Urban fantasy. So fantasy. So uh, like as a reader, very, very early on, I can remember reading uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings. So not necessarily urban fantasy, but I guess just fantasy in general. And then... Um, sci-fi came after that mix and i liked it all though like like comic books i like stories in every form video games i mean they're just stories right just told in different ways and on different platforms so we've talked to uh kristen Catherine rush about that who's been studying the market she has a business blog for authors but she's also been writing for a few years and she thinks that probably people that were born in the 80s or the last generation that would read as widely because, you know, you didn't have digital books. So when you if you were a voracious reader, you go to the library, you might have read all the books in your genre. So you have to branch out or reread. See, so I blame Amazon for that. I because actually think you still people... go to the bookstore. The books are some Barnes and Nobles have like switched to separating them out a little bit more, but they're still very much mixed together and they're right next to each other i think it's the advance of doing where you're going down those digital subtracks it's it's the digital more than the the because barnes and noble if you look at their their online for their ebooks it's the same subgenre angle so i think i think it was the digital ch change that did it because now if i like sci-fi there's an endless number of books that aren't in one store that i can find and you might never run out of content in sci-fi. And so the the force I have to yet to run out of any kind of content that I like. Well, that, that means that external force that would, you know, maybe push you into branching off more widely just isn't there. I don't know that there's any like hard and fast research on it, but it sort of fits with the evolution of technology. That makes sense. I've never thought about it that way, but yeah, I can definitely see that. So instead of splinter skills, we're having splinter fandom. Sure. We'll go with that and move right along. Now I've heard a developmental psych term at, at JR that he doesn't know. <laughs> um, so what was your first memory engaging in speculative fi fiction as a genre? Um, I mean, growing up, probably books, right? Probably reading. My mom would take us to the library. My brother and I would get like these crates of books and we'd take them back. Everything from like 
DC Comics, Batman, to Hardy Boys. Um, Ooh, Hardy Boys, I read those. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I read all of them. I read a lot of them, but they're, I mean, that author, I don't know if it was a team of authors or one person pumping them out, it's, but there was like a lot. It's a house name for whatever company. Um, and so it was several authors that um, that did that. The um yeah the I think the boxcar kids was one yes some of the Nancy Drew books for for the the ones the whatever the equivalent for Hardy Boys is it might not have been Nancy Drew but whatever the equivalent for the girls was of the Hardy Boys was was a house name as well I think you're so, right though I think I think Nancy Drew was the uh, equivalent to Hardy Boys so what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love Can you define speculative fiction for me. Speculative fiction includes fantasy and, and um, sci-fi. And sci-fi, so both what, what is you're it? you're calling it sci-fi, fantasy isn't enough. Well, speculative <laughs> fiction just sounds cooler, and I was trying to avoid word it echoes. sounds more literary snobby, and I'm not that person. Um, I mean, I love just the unknown, the adventure, right? It's like the best part of me of reading and writing, because I don't uh, outline when I write. So is going on the journey. Cause like, I don't really know what's going to happen. So it's fun for me to like have my fingers hit the keyboard and I'm right there with the characters figuring out what's happening. And there's explosions. And then this person betrayed this person and this person had a evil twin and it's just like bananas. And I love it. Wait, have you written evil twins and doppelgangers yet? Um, doppelgangers for sure. Doppelgangers for sure. I don't think I've done evil twin yet. So maybe I'll throw that in the next book. That could be cool. So how did your love of speculative fiction, sci-fi or fantasy um, of the genres transition into writing in them? Um, I think I always wanted to be a writer. Like it's something I always wanted to do. And then when I graduated from college, uh, there's this thing called money that you need. So (laughs) (laughs) apparently there's this thing called money that you need. So I couldn't, I didn't have time to try to figure out how to become an author or navigate. Like I knew nobody in the industry, nothing. So I had to, you know, get a job where I could find a job. So I started uh, working. And in the meantime, I would always kind of like, you know, write a little short story here. Or I'd work on a book there. And then I was never fully 100% committed, though, right? Because I had a foot still in the um, business world where I worked with sales and management. So finally, I got to that point that we had talked about further. Where I realized like, hey, this is not going to work. I either have to stop doing what I'm doing now and be 100% committed to being an author or else it's never going to happen. And um, I was just miserable in my job. Like it was, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced something where like you're in a position and they're dangling a carrot in front of you and it's always just enough for you to stay there. But yeah. You never really get the carrot and you're never really happy. You're just, I think that's what they call there. the army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just got to that breaking point where I was like, hey, this is it. Like, Am I going to spend, I was there at that job for five years. So I'm going to spend another five years here or am I going to, you know, throw caution to the wind and see what happens. So you took the leap. So yeah, I took the leap. Was- I'm always reminded of that um, saying, you guys might've heard it where uh, somebody's afraid to try and they say, what if I fall? But then say, but what if you fly? Yeah. Nice. So what was the four, you said short story was the first thing you written. What was that short story? Oh, I wrote a lot of them. I would write, um, like a, a cowboy bank heist and just put, you know, my, my wife and I as characters in it. I wrote like a Jedi story, like star Wars story. I wrote, um, a thriller where there's like now, a female a assassin. Star Wars fanfic or was it a, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nights. I did nights just like, you know, nothing crazy. Maybe like 
two, three, four thousand words just yeah. for fun. And then I wrote a full length novel, like 80,000 word novel, a World War II novel that never got published. It was my first book. I, I don't even think I have it anymore. Um, but yeah, so I was just kind of always writing because that's what I love to do. And then finally, I realized like, hey, I got to do this 100 percent. So are you ever going to publish those early works and share them with your your listeners? You know what's funny? Readers? I don't I don't even know if I have them anymore. Cause I'm trying to think like I was working, I didn't have a computer back then. Um so I think I was just using like my work computer to write them. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever like emailed them to myself because it was a work email. So I don't think I don't even think I have them anymore. Huh. Well, if you ever find them, you know, there's a market for, for authors releasing the early work just to like insider fan type stuff. So if you That's decide to idea. do that and you find them, let us know and we'll, we'll, we'll update the show notes with it. JR so, really wants to share other people's embarrassing stories. <laughs> I don't always find them as embarrassing as the authors. I think that's more authors tending to be too self-critical, but um, so many, I know. Yeah. Many authors let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments for you that really shape you as a storyteller? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, even in my writing now, I write characters. Uh, I don't really like overpowered characters at the beginning. So I like seeing characters progress and grow. So I think that kind of just speaks to like everything that I've had to go through over these nine years of publishing. Like you don't give up, right? I write characters don't give up. Like you can beat them down. And it doesn't matter how many times that you beat these characters down, that they're just going to keep on getting back up. So I've done that, I think, almost in every series. I think that's just because who I am. And sometimes that's not always a good thing. Because I'm realizing now in different business ventures that like, hey, man, maybe I should just let this business venture die. Because this is just like spinning my wheels. And there's like, I'm torn because there's that part of me that doesn't give up on anything. That always sees things through to the end. But then there's a the part that I'm like, hey, is this the best way to spend your time? Like the video game. Remember, JR? I was yeah. working on a video game. Oh, my bananas. That That's, was pre-COVID. That, that thing was like, uh, I think, I mean, this job has definitely taught me to be patient. But that's like another extreme lesson in patience. So, um, yeah. Whatever so we were started. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I wrote a series called Gateway to the Galaxy with my wife. It was fun. It was like Stargate meets Green Lantern. Uh, it's the first series that did really well that was um, able to bring her to leave, let her leave her job and come back uh, to our house to work for our company. And we're like, hey, let's make a mobile game. So we found a developer and we found a coder and we got all the way through the game. Like I wrote the game. The game exists. I've played the game on uh, mobile It's for a mobile app. And then COVID happened and the coder got COVID. And then on top of getting COVID, he recovered but then there was fires near his house. So then he was evacuated. So this is like a year now that we're waiting for this coder to finish the game. The game's finished and even went out to betas. So betas had looked at it and gave feedback. So we're at like the very last step where now all we have to do is just implement beta feedback and put it at the store. And then the coder told us he's no longer interested in working, uh, doing games. So now we have to find a new coder to just do those last two steps, right? All we need is to implement beta feedback and put it up on the store for sale. But now so much time has passed that the developer of the game is no longer interested in doing it. Like he doesn't want to go and find another coder to be able to do these things and oh put it up. Oh my God. So it's just like, <laughs> it's a, I don't know if you guys have felt this, but in different projects that I've worked on, I can feel momentum. 
So I can feel when things are happening and things are moving, yeah. everybody's responsive. And I can also yeah. feel momentum die. And yes. I can just, the momentum for this project is dead. And it's just like, by force of will, am I going to try to like get the rights to the game back from the developer so I can go find a coder to implement these last sections? Like, I don't mind doing that, but it's a, uh, it's been a long process and I have to restart that momentum with going all over again. Uh, okay. So if you are a coder and you're listening, cause I happen to know a couple that do and you said something you sound interested in, you could reach out. So are you using just standard um, gaming code or is it something special? Yeah. So the coder who first built it, built it using unity and I know nothing about this. So I know it's called unity, but I don't know anything outside ah. of that. Like I know that's how we built it. So if I need to get the, you know, all the files from the developer to then find the coder to go into Unity and make the changes and go. And it's so crazy, too, because, I mean, you guys know I have two little kids. So there's two kids that we're taking care of. We're in the business. I'm still writing 4,000 words a day, six days a week. So I'm still, like, cranking that out. And on top of that, we have, like, German translations that we're doing, French translations. We're doing our own audio. So, I mean, oh, I'm yeah. just, like chugging caffeine out of drinking horns, nitro cold brew coffee, like all day long. Nice. That I is really... the most badass. So <laughs> that's one of the things I wish I could get into because it gets really hot and humid here. And I'm like, I wish I liked cold coffee, but the like making my... cold coffee, the old fashioned ADHD way. I pour the coffee in and I walk away and I forgot that I had it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like something happens, like my, my child, suddenly screams from the other room. So I walk in and I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, I dropped my toy that bounces. Really? And you screamed? So and that's one of the things. Because I'm explaining the importance of if you yell, it better be life, limb, or eyesight. The, uh, they tell me, the Brits tell me that drinking the hot beverage in the middle of the heat actually will cool you down. I'm still not convinced. But I drink coffee anyway, regardless. Brits are weird. They, like, we love them. They're our they parents. also drink their beer weird, too. So, you know, we could just move on and talk about happy things. Like <laughs> fandom. So that, the next one's on you. Yes. Happy things. Fandom. So have you had any cool fan art or cosplay of any of your characters yet? Yeah. I don't know if I had cosplay, but definitely tons of art. There's... um. My wife and I always talk about this. She's like, you shouldn't give these people our address so they know where we live. I'm like, ah, that's fine. I don't think anybody's going to, they can come over, we can talk and like hang out. I don't think everybody's going to go crazy on us. <laughs> so uh, I've had plenty of times where uh, readers will ask if they can have my address so they can send me like different types of fan art or different things that they've made, um, stuff like that. So yeah, that's been super cool to get like different posters and pictures, water paintings. All kinds of really cool stuff sent to the house. And I don't think that I've ever had anybody, though, cosplay any of my characters. Who knows? Cons are starting back up. If you're going to a con, you should tell people so they know to wear the cosplay for you. And yeah. Take pictures and send it to them. There you go. Um, I actually knew, knew one author who got so excited by the first cosplay. He's like, no, here, have my book. You can, I'll sign it and everything. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, he was adorable. It was very cute. But... um. Have you had anybody ask for your autograph away from a book signing? Uh, yeah, but I mean, um, I knew the people, so I don't know if that counts. So it wasn't at a book signing, but it's just kind of like people in our circles and friends and stuff like that who uh, told me like, hey, I got your book, by the way. I loved it. Would you mind signing it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That totally counts. 
Oh, sorry. No. I sneezy. Allergies are fun. Bless you. But I don't want to sneeze on camera. And then I realized. Because then I realized I hadn't muted my mic, so it was like self-defeating. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. All right. Okay. So have you spotted somebody reading one of your books in the wild yet? Uh, no, I don't think that just like, well, I don't know. I don't really get out much guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I need friends. I'm usually just, <laughs> I'm usually just in my office, like working on either the next book or something else your for characters the characters are your friends. Yeah. The characters in my mind, the voices in my mind are my friends. So you used to get out to that, uh, Orange County, um, library, uh, indie author thing that you were doing. So does that count as friends? Sure. Yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely friends. I was the president of the California Writers Club for a few years, and uh, that was fun. COVID shut it down. So COVID came. My mother-in-law got cancer, and our second child all came. That's all right. She's better now. She had surgery. They removed it. She's good to go. So happy, happy news. And then uh, our second child was born all during COVID. It all happened at once. So I had to, like, get rid of everything that wasn't either providing for my family or was, like, bringing an income for the business, right? So I just told, you know, the California Writers Club, they've been great, but I just told them like, hey, I need to step away. So the vice president stepped up and took over and they started doing like uh, Zoom calls, Zoom chats since we couldn't meet in cool. person. Neat. So that counts, that counts as friends. Yeah. yeah, 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 I mean, I still talk to them. So they've been super cool and supportive. Well, hopefully things will uh, calm down and you can begin having a life beyond strictly the zone. That's super yeah. sweet of you to say, but we live in California. So California is like the strictest state uh, out there right now. I think it's doing I think so well for them. It is potatoes over here. But but the good news is, is when it happens, your first outing is probably just going to be a play date. <laughs> yeah. You've got young kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like we're still, we're going out now and stuff like that. So it's not like, you know, we're just confined to our house. But um, I'm, it's more like I'm confining myself just because there's so much work to be done. Absolutely. So have you, can you tell us the weirdest or funniest fan interaction you've had since you started writing? The weirdest or funniest? Um, there's, I'm trying, there's lots of different interactions that I've had. I'm just trying to think of like what would be the strangest interaction that might have happened. I mean, helping me escape the mob was probably up there. You know, anything involving JR is inherently strange. This oh, is true. Well, one thing that happened that was really cool was um, at 20 books to 50K in Vegas, there was a person who had come up to me. It was a, another author, but this is they had read my books and they were waiting to talk to me. And that was super weird because it was the very first 20 books to 50K. So I think that might have been like 2017. Okay. 2017, right? Because I was talking to Craig Martell, and I just always imagine Craig Martell has like a line of people waiting to talk to him. So there's this lady there, and um, I was talking to him, and then we looked over, and I just imagined she was there to talk to Craig, right? So I was like, okay, I'll talk to you later. And she's like, no, actually, I wanted to talk to you. And I was like, oh, so that was really cool. That was a cool interaction yeah. that I had. Yeah, because um, I am super humble on purpose. Like, don't make me out to be a saint because I'm not a saint, right? I have to make sure that I beat myself down as much as possible so that I, I don't become too enamored with everything that's going on, right? I don't know if that makes sense. Like, oh, I'm already... The Kool-Aid factor. 
Does that make sense? Like, right? Like, I don't want to drink my own Kool-Aid. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm glad that makes sense. I totally make sense. Cause I've seen some of that. And, um, and I think some of it is almost like a self-defense shield because editors and reviewers can be very harsh. So, but, but like there, there's gotta be some level of realism of yes, I'm hot shit. I can write a book and I can put it out there, but also some element of realism too. Yeah. yeah. I feel like down both paths lie madness. So down the path of just like reading all your five-star reviews and thinking you're like the greatest thing since nitro cold brew coffee is madness. <laughs> and then reading all your one-star reviews and just saying, Oh, I'm horrible. I'm never going to make it. I'm just horrible. That's also madness. So like there's this weird uh, medium that you have to find. And for me, uh, that means me just like continually beating myself down and just continually telling myself like, it doesn't matter. Like that last book that you put out, do better this book. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It matters what you're doing today. I can understand some of that. Yeah. I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but I always tell myself like nobody cares right faster. That's what the uh, they used they used to when they would do the triumphs in, in ancient Rome. They'd have that slave that was sitting there next to the to the general or the Caesar. Was like, remember thou art mortal. Like, I, I totally get that. Oh yeah, that's a really good way to put it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always think of myself as just a slave, like Ben Hur, tied to the galleys, <laughs> and they're just rowing, and it's just like every day, just row, row, row. It's <laughs> so dramatic, and it's like. You can just hear it tight, tight, tight. <laughs> yeah. So, can you give us the reader's high digest highlight reel of your body of work? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so started off doing Urban Fantasy. So it was like the elite series that's basically uh, humans who have an extra DNA strand that we don't. So it makes them a little bit faster, stronger, live longer. There's Archangel Wars that was uh, angels or uh, Nephilim, which were people chosen by angels to have to carry out their um, will on earth. And there was the demons had their people too. And then those are two big ones. Then I went to science fiction, which is gateway to the galaxy. So that's the one that's like Stargate meets Green Lantern. And then there was Forsaken Mercenary. I did 12 books with Forsaken Mercenary. And now the master plan, we'll see if it works, is to be able to feed both my passions side by side. So I'm gonna be trying to do a release with Urban Fantasy with Hunters for Hire and then a release with science fiction. Oh, wow. And go, and go back and forth so that each fan group can be served and that we can do maybe like three books in each series each year. So it'll be three urban fantasy books and three sci-fi books that are released each year. So that'll what, be uh, nice. It'll keep you fresh. Right. What uh, sci-fi series are you going to be working on? So for the moment, we're going back to Gateway to the Galaxy to add some more books because there's only six books in the main Gateway to the Galaxy series. So I think we're going to try to flesh that out a little bit more. Okay. So I will say that unlike some authors who it's almost like reading a schizophrenic patient's ramblings when they go genre to genre, not in a bad way, but like there's definitely different voices at each style that they approach, which is a skill. I will say yours has a, a little bit of a unifying, like, you know, your approach to life is sort of in both. Cause I've read both the, uh, the humor, the, the banter, the, not taking yourself too seriously. That's sort of almost your brand at this point. And it's in yeah. both. So if, if you enjoy one, you'll probably like the other. I don't know that you can say that with all authors. And like I said, that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, they're writing different styles. They don't always translate, but I feel like you brought you to both. So thanks man. Yeah. I, uh, every time I hit the keyboard, I'm just trying to do three things in the book. I want to give people escape 
because I feel like this world is heavy and there's a lot of things that are going on, a lot of things that people have to deal with. So if they can escape into a book for a few hours, that's what I want. I want to uh, make them laugh at some point in the book to, uh, again, just, you know, just give them a little bit of uh, light and hope in their world. And then the last thing is just leave them with hope. You'll never read one of my books and feel horrible about yourself afterwards when you come to the end. You always have a smile and you'll have some hope in your heart. That's good. I think that's important to have. And um, I had somebody make a comment about how much I read. And I went, oh, no, no, no. When I'm stressed, there's a certain point of stress where all I do is read. Like, that's all I'll do. And if all I'm doing is reading, and it's like, okay, just, just leave her alone until she, she comes out of it, is what I've been told is the best advice when you come in. And, like, the house is a mess, and I'm just reading a book. It's like, just leave her alone. Yep. <laughs> so all of that sounds fascinating, but we're here today to talk about The Suck, A Supernatural Monster Hunt is the title. It's the first book in the Hunters for Hire series that you just mentioned. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? So uh, I always loved urban fantasy. I wrote that again nine years ago. So maybe like around 2012, 2011, 12, let's say 2012. I was writing that. That's where I started. That was my first love before I went to sci-fi. So now going back, there's a series that I love and uh, you guys know who the author is. I know you do. So uh, I feel like his writing is so good and it's so attainable as well. Like um, I don't think I'm as good as he is. I would never say anything like that, but I feel like the way his writing is like, yes, that's what I want to sound like. But I also have to make sure I play to my voice and my strengths because he knows way more about guns than I could ever imagine knowing. <laughs> right. So <laughs> so I, uh, so I decided like, what can I bring? What can, what are my strengths in this? Right. So funny story. Uh, when I quit my job and I was looking to write full time, I wasn't making any money. Right. I had to bring in income somehow. So I was working, I picked up a part-time job at 24 hour fitness as a personal trainer while I was, you know, querying. Cause at that time I didn't know I was going to self-publish. I didn't know anything about self-publishing. I just know the traditional way. So I was querying a bunch of different um, publishing houses to try to pick up my first book. But in the meantime, I needed money. So I was working at 24-Hour Fitness, and then I got a job as a, uh, <laughs> as a male model. So I modeled for uh, a few years, <laughs> a few years as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it paid the bills. Awesome. It was weird. It's, that is a weird life. I, I've done ads for um, – they made me trim the beard and stuff like that too. But I, I did ads for Bud Light – for Kawasaki, PlayStation, uh, Bank of America, all kinds of weird stuff. And it was fun, but just being <laughs> on set, being on set was like super weird. And they'd have people doing your hair and makeup. It was definitely an experience. I only did, again, I did it for two years because after the two years, uh, books exploded and took off. So I didn't need to do that for money anymore. But uh, I, I took that experience and put it into Hunters for Hire. Because um, the main character for Hunters for Hire is a male, struggling male model in Los Angeles. And then he realizes that monster hunting, he realizes that there are monsters, and then realizes that monster hunting pays way more than trying to be the face of like hemorrhoid cream commercials for whatever <laughs> ad. For whatever did you do ad. hemorrhoid cream commercial? Uh, I did not personally. He did in the book, though. No, he advertised beer and video games like, a, <laughs> like the modern man's man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was. So I just tried to bring everything that uh, I could bring to the story into monsters hunting, and it's been a it's been a lot of fun. So, did you do any weird esoteric sort of campaign uh, ad campaigns that you didn't mention <laughs> that you that you channeled? 
No, like, uh, you mean like actually me going to sets? Yeah. Yeah, being a, being a model is super weird because like you would go to these casting calls and at the casting call, there would be like a hundred people who look like doppelgangers of you, right? Because when they're putting out a casting call, they're saying like, hey, we need a male who's Hispanic, um, this height within this height parameters and this age. And then all of you doppelgangers and all your twins descend on the casting call. So it's <laughs> like, you know, like dozens of people in there who look varying, you know, shades and forms of you. And then you just go in and the, they usually ask you to say a couple lines or they'll just take pictures. So that so way the client. Of you. What's up? Multiverse of you. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the multiverse of you. So uh, from doing that, that's how I got the ads. And then there's also direct bookings, which are really cool. So direct bookings are when you don't have to go to a casting call, that the client just sees your picture and that's enough and they book you. But um, yeah, it was fun. I did Boot Barn. Um, I think I did maybe like three or four shoots a year. Let's say like four shoots a year. So I only did it for two years. So maybe like eight shoots altogether that I was on. Okay. So be before we dig in deeper to the uh, to the character and the Hunters for Hire, we're going to take a second where we talk about this glorious cover. So what was the inspiration that you had when you made this uh, this piece of art? Ooh, it's fancy. You brought it up on the screen. Thanks, JR. Um, yeah, so I wish I could say it's me, but my wife actually takes the lead on cover design and cover art. So we just wanted to kind of like study the genre a little bit and understand kind of like what urban fantasy readers expect when they expect to see a cover. So um, this book is kind of like, have you guys seen The Boys? The TV yeah. show The Boys? Okay. So this book is like Supernatural meets The Boys. Okay. So I wanted to get kind of that type of um, distressed titling that The Boys use. So you can kind of get an idea, a feel for what the book is going to be about. And then we needed uh, his name. The main character's name is John Hunter. We needed John Hunter on the cover, of course, with the Hollywood sign in the back. So, you know, it takes place in Los Angeles. And then what's a urban fantasy book without a full moon? I was actually jokingly going to ask you if this was you on the cover, but, <laughs> but you already like, this isn't me. <laughs> no, 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 it's not me. It's uh, I've had some people ask me that before, though. I don't think it really looks maybe if I squint really hard. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, Doc, are you going to be okay? You, you need a moment? You need to go to your bunk? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that problem you have. <laughs> All right. Well, now you get to ask him uh, the next question. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this novel be? Yeah, so I would say start with uh, Supernatural meets the boys. Uh, struggling model in Hollywood discovers that monsters live amongst us and that hunting monsters pays a lot better than his life alert commercial. He had to do with a 90 year old woman who sexually harassed him on set. <laughs> wow. That, that sounds like a very so, specific so you weren't joking. example. <laughs> I know, you weren't joking. What is it that makes hold your on, series an urban Hold on, Doc. He wasn't joking about that horn, so I'm going to put you on the solo screen. Show us that horn you're drinking from. Oh, this is my drinking heart horn. It's part of my brand. That's awesome. I take sips out of it like that. It gives me power. It gives him coffee power. <laughs> we had to share that when I saw you on, on, on screen doing that. All right, Doc. Next question is you. So what is it that makes your series special and unique in uh, 
the urban fantasy field? So one thing that I really enjoy about um, the lit RPG aspect of novels, I've written lit RPG as well, um, is base building. So that's basically where you have, you know, character who has nothing and then you get to see them progress and you get to see them attain assets and build. So I really wanted to take that aspect and put it into urban fantasy and monster hunting, right? Because a lot of uh, urban fantasy that I read, the hero is already powerful when it begins, or if they're not powerful, they already have assets or they, well, they know. Already, or they don't think they're powerful, but they actually super are. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, stuff like that, right? So I wanted my guy just to be human. When we meet him, he has nothing. He's like struggling to make his rent in an apartment he shares with his roommate. And I wanted to be able to see his progression throughout the series, see him like learning how to fight and learning how to fire a weapon. And then you get to see him uh, form his own company and the company's name that they form is Hunters for Hire. So that's their company that they build and they have to file the paperwork because I remember what it was like to file a paperwork for my publishing company and how confusing that black hole was. Yeah. Talk about things I don't want to deal with. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I make him deal with all that stuff. So you get to see him from nothing to start to build his business too. Yeah. I got two jobs, but I like my day job. And that's the one. So, um, so what tropes do you feel it, the suck really hits on best? Uh, tropes would just be kind of like what JR was saying, how like all my books that I write uh, have that hero who doesn't give up, right? Because I feel like that's all of us. Like if you're still on your feet, that means at some point you have faced adversity and you've refused to go down. You've gotten back up. You keep on finding a way to get back up. All of us here I know have gone through things that we keep on keep on going through, right? Like we don't give up. We're not quitters. Yeah. And even so, if it's uh, not hard for you, it might've been hard for that person going through it. Yes, so. exactly. That, I think they call that the everyman tr sort of trope. I don't know if that's really a trope or an archetype. No, I, but, think, I don't know. But, but either way, that's sort of, that's sort of what you're describing. It's the everyman. Like this could be you. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's what I keep on saying. Like he wasn't chosen his, Parents he never knew growing up weren't like, you know, kings and queens of some mythical land. There's no prophecy told about this guy. He's just a dude trying to do the right thing. I like that. I think that's great. Um, I think we all need to be reminded that that person can be inside of us and you don't need something special to make you special. Yeah. One thing that I tell uh, people uh, when they reach out to me, if like they're going through a hard time, I tell them, you know, greatness is inside of you. You just got to rip it out. It's there. Everything you need is inside of you. You just pulling it out and getting it out is the hard part. My uh, daughter, who's five, she was playing on her fort in the backyard. And I know she can get down from the fort. So let's start there. She can get down from the fort fine. She's jumped down. She's climbed down. She has a little net. She can get down. She can get down fine. I'm not a horrible parent. So one day she's yelling at me from outside, like, I can't get down. Daddy, come get me down. I can't get down. I'm like, Joe, her name's Josephine. I call her Joe. I'm like, Joe, you can get down. You can do it. She's like, no, I can't. So I told her, I was like, Joe, there's nobody coming from you. There's nobody to help. Nobody's coming from you. You are capable of doing this. The good news is that you can do this. And she got down herself. My mom used to tell me, yes, you're a special flower in a field of special flowers. It's like, yeah. Great. I mean, it, it sounds kind of cold, but it's true. Everybody's special. It's just everybody's special. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then uh, another one too is like, I tell her like, you can do anything you want to do. Right. 
And on the other side of that is a ton of work, yeah. right? Like I do believe that you could be do whatever you want to do, but like how committed are you? How many years are you going to dedicate to what you want? So uh, JR loves to, for me to ask this one, but in addition to urban fantasy, what other subgenres do you think Heroes for Hire fits in? Um, other than urban fantasy. So humor. Humor mm -hmm. is a heavy aspect, too. Like when he's on that Life Alert commercial and the 90-year-old woman keeps on calling him Sweet Cheeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He was the grandson in that. Um, that just so makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so there's That's some George R. R. Martin stuff right there. I know. I know. <laughs> uh does she so become a, like an evil, evil monster that he gets to get revenge on? No, not yet. But I mean, that's all. It's always possible. I don't outline, so who knows? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's possible. Secretly, an old banshee. Yeah, I have a banshee in book two. Right now, I'm writing book four, which is called Godmothered. Okay. So that that that's been uh, fun to explore too. But back to your question. So it could fit into urban fantasy. It could fit into humor. Maybe a little bit of a superhero because there's some superhero type elements in there. Magic, fantasy. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, they're trying to bring back the bad. Spoiler alert: the bad guy is trying to summon the ancient ones back through a portal. So I, mean, I guess it could be kind of sci-fi if it's a portal. Is that portal fiction? Portal fantasy, portal fiction works. Works yeah. for me. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'm not the subgenre person. That's Jr.'s gig. I'm kind of like it's all fantasy and spec fic for me. Yay! She she's on the uh, the train with certain people we know that don't think subgenres exist. I think they exist, <laughs> but I think they're just a useful marketing tool. <laughs> so, um, onto the story itself, what can you tell us about the main character, John Hunter, other than that he's a model? Um, what makes the him unique in the crowded world of science fiction and fantasy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to beat him down as much as possible. And, uh, just like me, like he has no shame. So we get to see everything. Like in book one, uh, his fiance breaks up with him and he just goes into like this spiraling realm of depression where he's eating gallons of ice cream. And then, you know, Fritos dipped in cream cheese from his couch. Yeah. Watching reruns of golden girls. So we get to see like all kinds of, uh, things that he gets to go through. And that I think we can all relate to because I feel like at some point, most of us, if not all of us, have been heartbroken. So I remember I went through that in college. So kind of try to pull from that and give it to him too. So I don't take him like super seriously, right? He's not like the Captain America heroic type who can't do anything wrong. It always has like a smile on his face. Yeah, but he also can't work his DVR. So, <laughs> so <laughs> in your college days, did you try the Cheetos and the cream cheese? Because that just sounds like a horrible combination. You know, uh, actually, I did. Yeah. Uh, spicy Cheetos with cream cheese. You should give them a shot. It's not healthy for you at all. It's super, <laughs> it's super unhealthy for you. But it works. It works. All the more reason why JR will like it. Yes, but I can't have it because dieting is a thing. But uh, you got you to gotta sweat and be in pain to look pretty, I guess. So, um, or, that's but, why or just, uh, <laughs> just like, um, cans of frosting. So, you know, frosting cake mix, just eating like yeah. straight frosting. He did that too. 
It's, it's, now you're going to make me hungry. All right, you're getting to be as bad as uh, as Ian Malone when it comes to food. Cookie dough, um, cookie dough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah stuff like that. Oh, no, I was the person. I made homemade cookie dough when I was in the barracks and then ate. <laughs> so, it was better. <laughs> other than uh, John Hunter, were there any secondary characters that were memorable for you? In, oh, in yeah, sock? for sure. So uh, there's a character named Shannon Van Helsing. So she is already a hunter when he meets her in um, John's roommate is a vampire. So she means oh. she's trying, she moves into Haven apartments and she's trying to kill his roommate. But uh, she also ends up being an ally and she's actually the one that pulls him out of his depression, uh, gets him on his feet and going again. So she's super memorable. Evan is the uh, vampire roommate. So he's been around for a long time. He has like a crazy past. That's cool to hear. And uh, I don't know how much I should give away. So if you don't want to uh, hear spoilers, earmuffs for a second. But the way the book ends is that the three of them, Shannon, Johnny, and Evan, form Hunters for Hire together. So Shannon has kind of like already the hunter experience. Johnny is um, learning. And then Evan's more like the business side. Well, because he's had time to figure out the paperwork. Right, exactly. So we can handle all that stuff. And then this is the Wolf logo for their company. This is the Hunters for Hire Wolf. So here ends the spoilers. All right. So we've covered the secondary characters. We talked about John Hunter, but let's talk about the bad guys. So do you have a, a one overarching bad guy or is it just generally the monsters that are out there? So that's really cool about doing this series. I've never been able to do it before where almost each book can be um, not a standalone, but each book could be, they could be on a different type of monster hunt. So I do have an overarching bad guy and overarching storyline. And then within that, each book has like, you know, in one book, they're hunting down a banshee. They're hired to hunt down a banshee. And another book, he's gone to the Godmother Academy. And another book, the third book is called All Valley Tournament, because I really like Mortal Kombat and Cobra Kai (laughs) and the tournament style. So he's in the All Valley Tournament in book three, hosted by the family Grimm. So he's um, competing against like minotaurs and werewolves and vampires and stuff like that. But the overarching enemy, his name's Typhon which is the Greek god of monsters. So um, he's the bad guy who's trying to free the uh, all-powerful evil ones from the portal. Okay. So what about the most important question? So we know you're a gym rat. um, So we're going to ask you, speaking of uh, your characters, if John Hunter met you in a dark alley, knowing the hell you've put him through, how do you see that playing out? You got a chance? Oh, yeah, we would be friends. For sure, we would be friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what about in a deadlift competition? Are you going to beat him? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think he's still learning. I mean, I've only written three books. So in book four, I really like slow burns, right? I really like seeing the character learn and progress and have to struggle and fail, but he learns and he gets stronger. So I think as of now, I'd still be able to beat him in deadlift competition. I think... Um, you know, in by book seven or eight, he's probably going to be able to beat me. Okay. So at least we know we've got seven or eight books coming. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. One thing. One thing I learned about series. If I, if there's any other authors listening, write long series. Please. Not too long though. Right. Well, what's too long? I don't know. Honor Harrington's like thirty books. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, if it's working for him, though, I say go for it. I mean, it, it has definitely worked for him, but I think he yeah. finally put that series to bed. She she won it with the Dragon Award at the end last. Yeah. Book. Well, hey, that's awesome. But you know, at the same time, sometimes it can get 
too intimidating. So I think writing a book where you can still come in and know at some point, like you're not completely lost if you come in is a good thing though, too. Yeah, you, you get to a point where it becomes sensory overload. I'm like, there's just so many books. <laughs> uh, I think the Anita Blake series is urban fantasy and that's like 30 books too. I think the Dresden books are like in the 20s. So. Yeah, so I have uh, the longest series I've ever written was 12. That's the Forsaken Mercenary series. guide for this series. <laughs> it's a little complicated. I was thinking maybe 24. I was thinking 24 for Hunters for Hire. Okay. We'll see. Is that a we'll significant Greek number? Uh, a Greek god? Uh, no, I don't think so. The like wishes he was. <laughs> I just, uh, I know that Forsaken Mercenary was 12. And then uh, everybody was super hungry. It was still doing really well when it ended it. So I was thinking, like, oh, I wonder if 24 is the magic number. So we'll shoot for 24 next and double it. There you go. Well, you have a lot to go. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just cranking on the keyboard every day, right? I tell myself, like, there's nothing that exists but the task. That's it. There's no yesterday. There's no tomorrow when I'm writing. There's just now. And only the task. And I just get like in this laser focus and just go after it. So can you tell us in urban fantasy, there's two main schools of, of trope on it kind of for the world. Is magic out and people know about it? Or is it like still on the DL? Still on the DL. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about how that magic system with that world is? Because I know like there's tech, in the, but this isn't a Normally we ask people about like the tech they design. Did you design magic for the world? I really like, uh, did you guys watch Lost? No. Yeah, so. no, okay. So um, I really like mystery elements. I like not knowing everything. I like answering one question and then asking you two more. So with the magic system, you know that there are, there is uh, someone from the council who oversees mm -hmm. this magic system and we get to meet one of them. But uh, you don't really know in detail, you know, exactly. Let's, let's sit down and ask her, how exactly does this work? Like, what are you doing? Do you have to say spells or do you just memorize it? How powerful are you? You get to slowly see, again, a slow burn. So you get to slowly see. So I try not to answer as much as possible and just keep you asking questions. Since we were... We were talking about characters a moment ago before we get too far afield. So do you have a favorite archetype of character to write? Yes, the, the guy starting from the basic and working his way up. Yeah, like um, one of my favorite characters is Wolverine. And I feel like early Wolverine, I mean, that guy just keeps on getting beat down, but he just keeps on getting back up. Early Wolverine is pretty badass. And he wouldn't be nearly as, the character would not be as logically badass later on in the series if it wasn't for all the early beatdowns. So yeah. you're talking early beatdowns before the adamantium or after? Yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, even both. I think even when he first got the Adam, I mean, always, right? I mean, Wolverine's always getting beat down, I think, in every, uh, in every iteration of him and every time that he's lived. But uh, he just keeps on going. So you mentioned the world, the magic is um, not out. Um, that's a good question, Doc, since you're familiar with the urban fantasy landscape. But um, it, other than that, what, what sort of tone did you set for the, for the world? Was it uh, grim dark, but the character is happy? Did you keep the universe sort of basically modern earth with extras? How did, how did you design the world? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you, it's just Los Angeles today. It's Los Angeles today. And uh, do you guys remember Joey from Friends? 
You do. That's John Hunter. Trying to be a struggling model. He's not going to win any IQ contests. He's just trying to figure it out. He's just like a good guy at heart trying to do his best. And then we introduce monsters and he's getting beat up by vampires and he's trying to find a way to overcome. And then uh, through the series, you find more and more about him. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but like what he's going to become. I've never written hybrids before. So I thought a hybrid would be fun. Interesting. Does he become the hybrid? Does he become the hybrid? Does he become the hybrid? Spoilers, JR. All right. So you said that you have magic in this universe and they're sort of discovering it as they go. So of all the magic that you've invented so far, you're on book four. What, uh, which one of those spells or abilities would you want? (laughs) This is a fun one. So I really like war hammers. I want to buy one at some point, right? Like half is going to be an ax and the other half is a sledgehammer. Just like this massive weapon, kind of like what Thor uses, the final iteration of Thor, like an endgame. So uh, I gave John Hunter a heavenly weapon, and the weapon is a warhammer that chose him, and it's called Blood Rage. So and Blood how, Rage. How would you uh, use and abuse Blood Rage? So Blood Rage has uh, red runes on it that glow, and he can call down lightning. But the first time he calls down heavenly fire from above, he electrocutes himself as much as the bad guys. So that's nice. kind of, <laughs> so that's he has to find everything out the hard way. So, I mean, uh, that was super fun to be able to use that weapon and learn about it. Right. Cause when he first gets the weapon, he's like, yes, he has no idea what it does. He just knows that it's chosen him to be able to use, to wield it, but he doesn't know why. Like, I mean, when, when I'm writing, because I don't outline, so I have no idea why either. I'm just like, find this out as John Hunter's finding this out. I'm right there along with him for the journey. So it's really cool to see kind of like step by step uh, the magic progress, the different weapons progress, stuff like that. So you've mentioned that you've got vampires and banshees. Um, Do you have other fantastical creatures that you're going to explore or? Oh, yeah. This this conversation just keeps on getting better and better. So uh, I always heard, remember you guys talked about how much you like uh, genre. Were you saying how much you love the different um, categories? Yeah, for genre, right? So, um, Bigfoot romance was one that I've always wanted to explore. <laughs> so, in book at the beginning of book okay. three, they're hired by a woman who had a romantic encounter with a Bigfoot while she was camping one night, but she has hasn't heard from the Bigfoot again. So she hires uh, hunters for hire, uh, Johnny and Shannon, to go out and you know see if they can find her love. So that was fun to explore, <laughs> to explore the Bigfoot romance line. You're gonna give Chuck Tingle a run for his money. I just want to have fun. That's what when I if I'm not having fun, I think I'm at the point in my career where um like I still obviously want the readers to have a good time, but I feel like um I want to have just as much fun as the readers and the more crazy and ridiculous things that I'm but doing. I think like I come through in the writing, honestly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if somebody's having fun, it comes through in the writing. I think. Oh, for sure. Like when I'm writing a book, I try to hit all ends of the spectrum. So I try to make sure you laugh, try to make sure you cry, try to make sure maybe you think a little bit. And then again, always leave you with hope. So I think telling us without telling us that he's Chuck Tingo was I'm writing Bigfoot romance. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It's something that I've always wanted to do. I was uh, working on a new hashtag. JR, is this Chuck Tingle? <laughs> maybe, maybe. With a little winky face next to it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so do you have a favorite mythical creature? Yeah, I, I've given this a lot of thought, JR, so I'm glad you asked. Um, I really like wolves in general, so werewolves for sure. But I also really like minotaurs. I don't know why. I just feel like they're so Bad. like, yeah, just like these huge Vikingish beings with their maces and axes and stuff like that. I think they're super cool. Okay. So I know you are into gaming because I've uh, heard we, we've talked about this in some of the other episodes. And I will be digging your uh, sci-fi shenanigan interviews out of the archives. We've gotten one that you did with Jonathan Yanez about the Orion series. But we've got some others we're going we're gonna to pull out and, uh, and re-air. But um, do you draw on your experience as a gamer when you're coming up with some of these creatures? I feel like I try to draw from everything, right? I feel like inspiration is everywhere. It's on a, in a song that we're listening to. It's, uh, yeah, for sure, in video games, of course, movies that we watch, other books that we read. So I draw from everything. I, I feel like my mind is an imagination meat grinder. And I just put in all these ideas, and my mind comes up with these crazy situations. So for sure, yeah, video games, comic books, everything. So do you ever think when you're coming up with these ideas, nah, that's probably a bridge too far, I, I won't do that? Or do you lean into the crazy ideas? Never. I am just like riding the lightning. Is that a drug term, by the way? I keep, I, I say that know. all the time and somebody's like, ah, you shouldn't say that. That means you do drugs. I'm like, I don't know. Is riding the lightning considered like code for doing drugs? I don't, I don't know. The, you're asking the wrong <laughs> podcast. So we're not that hip and cool. <laughs> no, but uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to answer, to answer that question, no, man, I just lean into the chaos. I, uh, I feel more and more. I'm going to get super deep on you guys. So I feel more and more as I understand really what's going on here. I feel like I'm just a lightning rod for these stories and imagination and these crazy things that come to me. And it's my job as a lightning rod to get these stories and just kind of disperse them out to everybody else. So do you think you're ever going to merge your sci-fi with your urban fantasy and throw some aliens for them to hunt? Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm already super close because I'm already doing portals. I feel like uh, – so I have a theory. Let's see if you guys – see what you guys think about this. So – this is an idea. This is my hypothesis that the longer and longer an IP goes, eventually it will merge different aspects. So we'll take um, of fiction and science fiction. So we'll take Marvel as an example, right? It's like Marvel kind of like just started with Iron Man. There's just a guy in a suit, right? You wouldn't say that's fantasy, but then as it kept on going and going and going, then there was Dr. Strange, which was magic. Then there's like, you know, the multiverse, so now it's like mixing fantasy and sci-fi. So I feel like with super long series, they start to blur the lines of fantasy and sci-fi. Yes. Which is probably why I tend to view them as the same genre, which drives JR nuts. Yeah. So do you, do you plan on having some like cross IP mashups? Like would the gateway to the galaxy hero show up in this series? Because why not? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that could be cool to have Frank Wolf. So Frank Wolf's the hero of Gateway to the Galaxy, and he's like, um, he's pretty much like an Iron Man. He's not like Johnny at all. Johnny's like a more kind of like humble, just trying to figure things out. And uh, Frank is like Iron Man. So it'd be cool to have them meet, or maybe in some sort of like a dreamland or something like that, where he's trying to give him advice or something like that. It's possible. So I know since you asked the question about the magic doc that you're a huge urban fantasy fan as well. So do you have a favorite creature? Uh, uh, favorite like character within urban all urban fantasy? 
No, I was asking Doc if she had a favorite creature. You said you liked the Minotaur. Oh, so, gotcha. I, I don't know why. I've been fascinated by urban fantasy since we did the uh, interviews for Mel Todd's um, anthology that she was in. And we did a couple of interviews with some authors. So we did Fiona Gray, um, Gemma Clatworthy, and, and Mel. And it's, it's like the whole concept. growing as a reader. It's what? Because you're growing as a reader. Shh, don't you say that. <laughs> but uh, do you have a favorite character uh, like a favorite creature i really like dragon big surprise i know but i like i i think one of the things that makes it i like mel todd's unicorn that she has in her twisted luck series and it, it's a very specific because it is a unicorn and she does play on the tropes but she also it's like a twisty little character so i i think it has to do with if you make it more than just the standard but i'm also i have recently figured out i love anything with telepaths i think telepaths are great so um tell you know telepaths and telekinesis i'm like a sucker for that whether you put it in a fantasy or a sci-fi i like it probably okay. kids cats and telepaths one of my favorite books that was a quote about the book so do you uh, ever mess with uh telekinesis or telepathy um john Telepathy, eh, we'll tomato tomorrow. Big person. So I haven't done it in Hunters for Hire yet because I'm still writing the fourth book, but in Forsaken Mercenary, definitely. So, okay. That's uh, that's interesting. So um, clearly the interview is winding down a little bit. Um, we could ramble on, but I know you've got kids to, to wrangle yourself. So uh, before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Sock, a Hunters for Hire series that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? No, I think uh, Hunters for Hire, hopefully, um, if you decide to give it a shot, it'll give you some smiles and uh, laughs <laughs> and uh, brighten your day in a way that you haven't heard urban fantasy before. So, like, I always think that tropes exist for a reason. So I try to get 80% of what you know and love about a genre and keep that, right? Because it's the whole reason you're reading this book, because you love it. And then maybe it's 20% of something new like my spin on it so that's hunters for hire but if you wanted to talk about um something really cool that's going on with the forsaken mercenary series of course we do we love hearing really cool news especially the positive stuff yeah it's um it is wild and i want to say first like nothing has been signed yet so like no money has exchanged hands so it's not like 100% for sure this is happening, but I'll tell you what has happened and you can decide um, how close or how far we are. So a few months ago, I got an email about Forsaken Mercenary and it was a production company asking if the rights were available to make into like a TV show or movie. And I've had two other series optioned before. So, you know, I wasn't like, you know, putting all my eggs in one basket buying a house in the Hamptons and getting a private jet and popping champagne bottles yet. But I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like somebody's interested. I'm telling them, yeah, that the rights are available. And then they emailed a couple weeks later and they're like, cool, we are going to have all our directors and um, writers read this book. So we just want to make sure that all the books in the series are available. And I was like, yeah. So then I started looking a little bit more like who is this company? Right. So I did some research on the company. So they made um, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, I Am Legend with Will Smith, The Matrix, Constantine. Oh, wow. 
and they've done, they've been around for a long time. They've done a bunch of movies and a bunch of TV shows. So I got a little bit more excited, right? Like, hey, this is super cool. Like, who knows if anything's going to come with it? So a few more weeks go by and they're like, hey, would you be willing to have a uh, conference call with one of our directors? He read the uh, book and loved it. He would like to be involved. So I had, was like, yeah, for sure. So I had the Zoom call with him. It turns out he's already won an Emmy um, nice. for something that he's done. If you don't recognize his name, you would recognize his work for sure. Um, so I talked to him and it was super weird because like you guys know me pretty well. Like I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about myself. Like I always think like my books can be better. Like any book that I write, I can be better the next time. I can learn. I can be better. Even if I'm 1% better with each book, I need to be better. So hearing somebody of his caliber, you know, who's already done uh, movies for Netflix and he's already done TV shows and won an Emmy and all that stuff to say how much he left Forsaken Mercenary. I'm like, that was like super weird. Like I didn't know how to compute because I'm like trying to beat myself down on a daily basis, telling myself to do better uh, in every way that I can. So it was, it was cool and it was kind of eye opening because I always thought that to get a TV show, a movie deal, I needed to sell millions of books, right? Like I needed to be like a, jk rowling or a stephen king like sell that many types of books to get noticed so it was kind of like a wake-up call to me like oh maybe i don't maybe maybe my work is good enough to be able to be you know considered for tv or movies so uh everything goes really good with the call we have another follow-up call um two weeks ago he took me out to lunch because he's here in la so i got to meet him in real life and hung, hung out and apart from the forsaken mercenary project he asked me if I would write with him. Like uh, he has a movie in his mind, an idea for a script that he wants to do. Uh, but he's a director first, not necessarily a writer first. He can write, but that's just not what he is, you know, his passion at the forefront. So I was like, for sure. So we're partnering on a different project as well. But back to Forsaken Mercenary, uh, a few weeks pass. And then the production company says like, hey, we have a writer, a script writer, who's read the books and loves it. He wants to be part of the project. Would you mind talking to him? And I was like, no, for sure. So it turns out that this script writer did Blade Runner. He did oh, wow. um, uh, American Gods, Neil Gaiman show, American Gods. He did an adaptation that was a comic book and is going to FX for a live action uh, TV show called Why the Last Man. So he's done a lot of stuff. So I talked to him and then the same thing. He was telling me like, oh, I loved Forsaken Mercenary. I love your characters. And in my mind, I'm just like, what? Because like, I mean, this guy has done all kinds of stuff. So I'm thinking like, oh, whoa, this is weird to hear. Because again, like I, I don't think of how good or bad my work is. I just think of doing better. I just think of doing better. That's it. Um, so that's really cool. So I talked to the production company again. And basically what they're doing, because I want to understand the process, like, hey, why am I meeting with all these directors and script writers? Like, did we do it? Are we there? Like, I have no frame of reference, like, where in yeah. this process we are. So they explained to me that there's something called packaging. So what packaging is that the production company already knows all these people, right? So they already know the directors and the script writers and actors and showrunners. So what they do is they package a product. And what that means is they get a director that wants to do it. He's already involved and sign on. They find a script writer, they find an IP, they'll find a showrunner, maybe sometimes an actor. Everybody's involved. Like they're assembling a crew. They have the crew that wants to do it. Then they pitch to like the HBOs or the Netflixes okay. or the Amazon Primes and say like, hey, we have the story, the script writer, the director, everybody's here. You just give us the money now to make it. And then um, 
So it's kind of like, I kind of look at it like they're assembling a crew to go to outer space. And then they, we have to go to the studio for the ship. Then we're just telling, telling the studio, like, hey, we have this awesome crew. All these people are involved. We want to go to space. Now give us the spaceship. Nice. So that's where we're at. And every, at every, it's weird because at every phase that this has happened, because this is over the course of like three or four months now that this mm -hmm. has all been going on. I always think like, okay, this is where it's going to stop. I'm never going to hear from these people again. Like it didn't work out for whatever reason. But every time I say that, it's like, oh, now I have a call with a director. Uh, now I'm going out to lunch with a director. Now the script, now we have a script writer who's interested in have a call with him. So even right now, I'm telling myself, it's probably not going to work out. I just need to concentrate and focus on what I can control. And the only thing I can control is working on that next book. So I'm just going to stay in my little cave and just work on the next book. But who knows? That's the furthest I've ever gotten down the process. And everything, everybody that I've talked to says if they've already been packaging it and if they're already this far interested and they're um, spending their resources and getting people involved, that it's a good sign. So we shall see. All right. Well, then. So um, as we wrap, that's awesome. Uh, fingers crossed for you. I'd love to see that show. I will watch it. Um, and we might even do the review on the podcast. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. How can, uh, how can listeners find you? And as usual, all the links will be in the show notes. Yeah. So um, if you want to jump on our email list that we call our pack, it's jonathan-yanyas.com. Uh, on Facebook, I'm always active there. And then we have our Facebook group called Jonathan Yanyas's Reading Wolves. So that's where we all go to hang out. So either of those two places are the best ways. Okay, and you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Don't hate Saska. Just because I was a tour guide once doesn't mean anything. I still got it. So blasters and blades Facebook group is facebook.com backslash groups. That's important. Uh, backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley, where you can make a one-time donation. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast, and I will keep Doc Saska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never um, surrender. There you go. Galaxy Quest supports that, uh, that thing. And uh, you can also do a reoccurring monthly subscription, much like a Patreon type of thing, on anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. You Thank can stop you. mocking me and bring it home now. I will never stop mocking you. Nobody likes a quitter like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee, addle-brained Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Suska. This was the Blasters and Plays podcast. We'll be here next time. Same place, same group, uh, covering some weird topic. And, of course, picking on J.R. <laughs> And expressing our love of all things fantasy, sci-fi, and anything that goes boom. Absolutely. And we're going to end this on a positive note. So pineapple does not belong on pizza. And Pern was, do belong on pizza. And and was fantasy. You, happy and you, aren't, you aren't allergic to belongs on 